0: Luke, you have been CEO, uh, your president, CEO, and chairman of Albemarle. You've been CEO since 2011, but I think you joined the company in 2003 or four. Yeah, or that's f- right. 50- end of
1: 2003.
0: Okay. Since 2011, um, Albermarle stock is flat, right? Since yeah. your acquisition of Rockwood, right? It's marginally up, and that acquisition of Rockwood, if uh, for our listeners. I've written about this. In 2014, was announced was done at 14.4 times trailing uh, EBITDA, 6.2 billion, and it was followed quickly thereafter by a sell down of Chemital for 3.1 billion to repay the debt. But uh, Wall Street was uh, somewhat um, saying that you paid too much <laughs> for Rockwood. Bottom line, it was a bold bet. Sefi Gashemi at uh, Rockwood has a very long and storied history. As I view uh, this move by you, it was a bold bet on lithium. I think you were saying lithium was growing two or three times GDP at the time. It's now growing four or five times GDP. I think I met you the first time at your investor day. Um, I have your investor day deck, you know, with me, um, which was 2017. At that time, your market cap was 11 and a half, you know, billion dollars. It then went to kind of 15 billion. We're now sitting here below 7 billion market cap. It's really astonishing. So I've been advocating. I, I came into your stock. I'm a shareholder around 90. I never all those years. It just it went too far too fast. But I came in um, earlier this year when I wrote this note, Southern Accents and The Amazing Spider-Man, uh, you know, L- Loop Capital, who we're going to be having on the podcast uh, as a compliment I spoke to the other day, I think he's a very good analyst. He's saying, like, today you're trading at seven times EBITDA across all your businesses. And to him, that that type of multiple is for a commodity zero growth type of business, you know, whereas, Lithium has a 40% margin, as I said, is growing four to five times. Even your bromine business, you know, 30% margins, nothing to, to sneeze at. So I guess what has changed in the capital markets, you know, in your time since the Rockwood acquisition over the years? There's been a yeah. lot of changes, but I would appreciate your thoughts. What's this disconnect, the, the cause of it?
1: Yeah, I, I think that, um, first of all, in the very mid-beginning, of an an industry in and it's all being driven by electric vehicles and when you look at that astonishing growth and we've put data out there all the growth is really driven by EVs we're very early in the maturation of that business Uh, this is the first time that we've seen in that maturation of the EV business that we've seen a little extra capacity of lithium carbonate and price comes down in China and I think there's been a gross overreaction to that um, and, and people are treating lithium as a block trade, right? There was probably when the stock was up at 130 bucks a share, 140 bucks a share, there was probably too much euphoria that drove it at that point in time. And a lot of people tried to get in at that point, right? They wanted to build more assets. It was easier for them to get money. So in China, they were building some uh, carbonate plants that they were going to source from Western Australia with rock. Those are online now. And we've got some we've got some for a small time, I think, some excess capacity. That's driving carbon pricing down. Uh, and those who were playing the market, for lack of a better word, or playing that price game getting more are getting hurt right now. And the and so it's a block trade that's unbelievably frustrating. But as I said before, if you look it appears if you put a reasonable multiple on our catalyst business, a reasonable multiple on our bromine business, a reasonable multiple on our fine chemistry services business, traditional multiples that have been paid in that industry, you get at at our price today, below $7 billion market cap, you get lithium for free. And and you're talking about a a company that's grown double digits, double digits, and double digits. So I think that we've got to keep delivering profitability but people, what people don't see is in the, the market grew roughly fifty to 60,000 met tons in this year in, in 19 is what it'll do. Next year, it ought to grow sixty to 70,000 metric tons. Well, who's bringing Capacity on next year? Albemarle's not. SQM's not. They've delayed it. Tianchi's delayed it. So really, you got a two-year spot where you're going to have growth of somewhere around one hundred twenty to 130,000 metric tons on the demand side, and on a, on a market that's not adding that kind of capacity. So it's going to tighten right back up. And I think that people need to look at it for the long term. I also think what's hurting us is, what's over hurting the overall market is there's tension in that market. Shareholders are nervous. Investors are nervous about what's happening with trade with China. How's that going to impact EVs? How's that going to impact rare earths for our catalyst business? What's going to happen here? There's uncertainty. And in times of uncertainty, people get more cautious and they get more nervous. And I think then you have a little bit of news about somebody changing the number or somebody reducing the volume and all of a sudden there's a ripple effect. And I I think that's where we're in right now. So people are focusing too much on the short term, not enough on the long term and I don't think they're really looking at from the Albemarle perspective the quality of the resources that we've been able to um, acquire, uh, the geographic diversity of those resources and our capability to be able to over time build conversion capacity to thoughtfully and methodically bring that to the market to meet our customers' demands.
0: Welcome to Lithium Ion Rock, Season 1, Episode 15. Southern Accents, Part 1. Freebird Lithium at Albemol Corp. That long intro of... Luke and me, uh, introduced by the Allman Brothers, Southern Rock, Ramblin' Man, and then Leonard Skinner, another Southern Rock, Freebird, is just the beginning of a nice journey. Uh, we hope Rodney and I and Luke hope to bring to all you listeners. Albemarle is the largest lithium company in the world. It is an S and P 500 company. It is one of 50 names that Goldman Sachs uh, puts in their Sustain 50 category. It has a broad, diversified business mix that, in addition to the leading lithium business in the world, includes bromine and catalysts, which are providing excellent cash flow and have reasonable margins in their own right and are growing um, You know, maybe one or, or, or two and a half times GDP, uh, some 10%, I think, uh, in the bromine business last quarter. Not as great as the four to five times GDP growth that uh, lithium is growing. But uh, to have a very stable mix of business enables Albemarle to have an investment-grade credit rating, which means that they could raise funding at uh, some 5%, and they're going to be doing a bond deal later this year. We've broken this into a two-parter, uh, covering the gamut of uh, how we see Albemarle, um, both from an operational perspective and you know political, geopolitical perspective as well. Uh, so we talk about Chile, we talk about China, we talk about Australia, we talk about North Carolina, we talk about Silver Peak, we talk a little bit about uh, Albemarle's competitors, some of the juniors in the space so with that um i am not from the south but uh i am nevertheless a rambling man so hope you enjoy some of the music throughout here and uh, we're going to give a nod to david ryan the vp of investor relations at album mall who helped uh navigate getting this podcast uh, in place you'll notice in the cover art uh that luke was very happy to hold up K-I-S-S. That's part of his name, and it is also Keep It Simple Stupid. So, kiss ALB. And a final shout-out to Haley Quinn, who works with David and handles media communications, who turned me on to this great Charlotte, North Carolina band, the Avett Brothers. Which we're going to play in part to broaden lithium-ion rocks' listenership among the millennial Jane and George battery pack investors.
2: Charlie, hey, how you doing? Thanks for joining us, for, man. Excellent, thanks. Um, so let me start. Uh, Luke, there's been lots of market commentary regarding the pace or lack thereof in the move to NCM 811. In what year does Albemarle see the demand for hydroxide exceeding carbonate?
1: Sometime uh, over the next three to four years that I would see that. If we look out further in 2025, what I would see is... Uh, hydroxide demand being about 2x what um, carbonate demand is. So I, I don't know the exact date or when I see it pass, but sometime during that evolution it'll pass. But I think it'll be about 2x in 2025 versus carbonate.
2: Excellent. And that, of course, ties in with your strategy. Yeah. And uh, given given that you've, uh, that Albemol's focused uh, future production growth on hydroxide, do you then see? Um, hydroxide prices commanding a premium over carbonates in the coming years?
1: Well, I think today um, hydroxide has always commanded a premium over carbonate pricing. Uh, for one thing, um, you know, to get the carbonate from brine, you got to go, I mean, to get hydroxide from brine, you got to go through carbonate. So there's an additional cost there. Um, so it, it demands a premium to get a similar return today. And I think you're going to continue to see that, that premium. I, I don't know if it's going to spread. Um, but I continue to believe there will be a premium on the dry side pricing. Okay,
2: great. And on, just on a on a slightly different tack, we've seen a sustainability as a theme gaming traction with the European OEMs, particularly VW and Mercedes-Benz, who are both targeting to be carbon neutral in the future, which at some point m- must uh, materially influence uh, their battery supply chains. Does, um, Albemarle see sustainability influencing their future strategy?
1: Well, certainly. I think everybody's got to view sustainability. We're dealing with a resource. So uh, if you look at the applicability to Albemarle, uh, water is a critical factor in our ability to produce and how much water we utilize. Uh, and That's why in the Solar de Atacama and also in La Negra, at our recent expansion in La Negra where we're going from 40,000 metric tons essentially doubling to 80,000 metric tons, we're doing so in a way where we would use no more fresh water at 80,000 metric tons than we did at 40,000 metric tons. There's a cost to that. There's a capital cost to that. We're uh, implementing and, and, and putting in a, a piece of equipment called a thermal evaporator uh, that's significantly expensive, but it's the right thing to do for the sustainability of the business. Uh, And it will, over time, drive our costs down. So we are focused on sustainability, not only because it's the right thing to do in those communities, but also because it's the right thing to do for our business.
0: own an electric vehicle.
1: I drive a Tesla. You drive a Tesla. And my wife drives a hybrid.
0: Okay, excellent. Um, is that the right answer? That, you, that, that's a good... Actually, how I said, how, how many EVs do you own and which ones? Yeah, I do Vs. not yet. I'm a perfect candidate for my second car. I haven't yet how replaced you, it. How, but. Can you, <laughs> how can you run
1: this podcast and not have
0: an EV? Uh, well, the Model 3 is the one in my sights, but uh, the performance of lithium shares in the past uh, year has affected the timing of that purchase. <laughs> Don't I know that, brother? <laughs> I want to speak a little bit about Chile, because Chile was uh, a major focus of a lot of news flow last year um, from SQM side, from Tangxi SQM side, but also from Albemarle side. So I, by coincidence, I was at a hotel. I arrived early, and uh, you had a big lithium event uh, at the Renaissance, and I, and I ran into uh, Ellen uh, Lenny-Pasagro. Yeah. So I introduced myself and spoke to her, and I'm going to be at this uh, Fast Markets conference in, in a week or so. i um, one, speaking on a panel, but I'm also moderating and introducing, and I think I'm going to be introducing the segment where, where, where she speaks. But uh, an observation that I have was I looked at her background. She was a diplomat promoting kind of U.S.-Chile free trade for the better part of her career. Uh, and there seem to have been, you know, there are tax issues, there's water issues, there's uh, whatever, uh, transfer pricing questions, This Corfo, there's a lot of noise. Can you just like update us? I haven't heard a lot about it in the past kind of six or nine months, and uh, it seems to be resolved, but if you could sh- share your thoughts on Chile.
1: Yeah, well, from the short answer is it's resolved. I mean, there was a contractual dispute on an interpretation between Corfo and Albemarle about. Um, the, the agreement and at what price we needed to offer uh, lithium carbonate to uh, potential battery producers who would locate into Chile. Um, we are, have run that process. We've reached an agreement. It has no impact on our profitability, had no impact on our royalties. Um, uh, Corfo is, has the, the uh, verifiability uh, that, they, that they requested, that they needed. Um, we have the surety that we need. Uh, so we've reached an agreement on what that language means, and, and we uh, are moving forward under that process in compliance with those agreements. And uh, to my knowledge, um, Corfo is um, uh, pleased with the uh, compliance at, at this date. We're paying our royalties and uh, in, in moving forward. Uh, we, we have a, uh, a pumping permit. Uh, and we are pumping within that permit from a water standpoint. Uh, there are always transfer pricing questions. And we have pricing, transfer pricing questions across our businesses, and most companies, multinational companies will have those kind of transfer pricing issues, and we're addressing them in Chile just like we would address them in any other uh, situation. I wouldn't make a bigger deal out of that than that is. It's business. Uh, if you run an international business, you know all about transfer pricing, and you understand they're trying to maximize their tax base. Companies trying to minimize their tax payments across the globe. I mean, that's what it all amounts to, um, and it'll all get worked out in time.
0: And, and wasn't there some lithium metal um, component because they, 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 you have to sell 25% of uh, at a
1: discount? To, to, no, that, to was, that was to the extent that somebody builds a battery production site you know, or cathode production site in Chile. So a greenfield construction of a of a construction of that site, uh, we have an obligation to offer them uh, under our price, our price formula, uh, up to twenty is it twenty five up to twenty five percent of of the volume that we produce there. So at forty thousand met tons, that would be up to ten thousand metric tons under a formula under a preferred pricing formula. That's what the disagreement about is. What was that preferred pricing formula? We've reached agreement. Uh, And we're we're going through that process right now, and we we don't expect any any challenge. We don't expect any change to our long-range forecast.
0: But those sales require that there is cathode production in in the country, right, to someone to to buy it from you, right? Yeah,
1: somebody's got to build a cathode plant in Chile.
0: Is that underway? Like, what's happened with those talks?
1: I'm sure they're tossed. Right now, there's no construction underway.
0: Okay. Has there been a change in your perception in the past kind of two years since, like, Panera has been in power now for a year and a half versus Bachelet?
1: No. I mean, I think that we've worked well with the government. They've been fair to us. Uh, We've tried to be uh, fair. They've been very open and transparent. we tried to do the same. So I hadn't seen uh, a huge change from, from, from our standpoint.
0: Okay. And going to Argentina, as you, you, I guess you, you, you paid, pay was it eighteen million dollars for Antofalla, which had some sixty million invested in it, or something like that. Uh, what are your thoughts on Argentina? Uh, that's a greenfield, you know. You, one Argentina as a country, from a sovereign risk perspective, from a Brian perspective, and then Antefala versus you know potentially buying, you know, buy versus build.
1: Yeah, on, on that, what you need to do, obviously, anytime you make an investment, is you got to look at the risk adjusted return. And, and look, there's a higher risk factor on building the Greenfield site in Argentina than there is doing something with MRL in Western Australia or than doing something at Kings Mountain, North Carolina. So we've got that asset. We plan to develop it over time, but it will go in line with the other assets we have. Talison build out, MRL build out that joint venture. Kings Mountain, then we got other additional resources that we'll be able to exploit to the extent that the market demand says we need it. And I expect the market demand eventually too, but that's something that'll be developed in the future.
0: And, and you would view, uh, let's say, North Carolina, again, the buy versus build, if there was an opportunity, I mean, Liven's very cheap or, or a Cobra, any of these, versus like if an opportunity came up like that, as opposed to building
1: Greenfield. Well, it, it, the, it, I would look at it. I would look at it, but uh, it's got to be right from a regulatory process. You got to understand what you're what you're paying for and how much what what volume you're getting from that. Uh, if you look at OraCobra, the publicly traded piece of it is a manufacturing venture, and you know the, a Toyota subsidiary controls all the. All the sales, so I'm not sure that one makes a whole lot of sense unless you can gain control over that distribution.
0: And that was very important for you in Wajiner to have 100% uh, marketing rights. So, yep. from your perspective, that is key control of uh, customer interaction. We want to be the face to the market. Okay. What are your thoughts on non conventional clay assets or geothermal brines? Uh, Ganfeng just uh, is participating in Sonora. You have Thacker Pass, There's, you have a brine. A bromine asset, I guess. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on, on,
1: on those? Well, I just think they're not cost effective today. I think that what we got to focus on with our balance sheet and our focus is what are the best assets around the world, uh, and we need to go take those. And we need to have uh, enough volume of the best-in-the-world resources that allow us to maintain – uh, relationship with our customers to meet their demand as well as the best cost structure in the world. So, you know, a lot of talk about the and Sea. We've looked at that 10 different ways from Sunday uh, about whether that geothermal works, uh, what the cost structure is and what they're doing. I know people are still looking at that. Um, we talked about Quebec and, and, and Namaskah, um, the weather there. Um, is that resource going to get done? Are they going to get their funding? I, I don't know. Um, but those are good people that are working hard on bringing in uh, an asset to production to, to meet, a, meet a growing demand. I mean, they know what they're doing. Uh, it's just not, it's it's tougher. I mean, it's when nobody's built any of these assets for years and years and years, and now we're trying to rush to build them. And even guys like SQM and Album Wall, Tianxi, Gangfin, we're all stumping our toes a little bit on the construction. If we're honest about it, we're not. We're not executing on that capital projects as well, as efficiently, as timely as we should be. And If you look at the announcements around the globe on the new resources, almost every one of them has been delayed. Almost every one of them comes in at a lower concentration they said they would come in, and every almost every one of them comes in at a higher cost than they said they were going to do. So, um, you know, it's it's one thing to sit around and talk about it, like like we're doing today. It's another thing to go out and actually do it and deliver. And I think that's what people are finding out.
0: All I do is talk about it.
1: Yeah, I know. <laughs> 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 hey, a lot of people talking about it, man. So don't don't feel like a lone stranger, right? And, and look, it's just I say that because it's just because it works on a piece of paper doesn't mean it works in practice. And I think that's what Albemarle and other companies are finding out that the technology to bring this nobody had built a lithium carbonate plant, nobody had built a lithium hydroxide plant for years and years and years and years and then all of a sudden we're going to try to do it in record fashion and that was it was to meet a demand so it was a noble goal but we didn't give our, it cost more than we thought we we're going it was going to cost and it's taken longer than we thought it was going to take and when you start it up there are more kinks in the armor than we anticipated and I'm, I'm assuming that's what you're going to see across the board. That's great. Uh, I met. It's not great. Right. It's bad. Well, well, uh, no,
0: it's a it's a great answer. It's a great answer. Um, I met Matt Juno, uh, I think, last year, and I asked him this question, just going around the globe of all the projects, and, and he indicated, uh, you know, because I had just come from the the Pilbara, and it was it was very hot, and there were a lot of you know bugs flying in my face, and I just had like this great respect for the people who are are, are working there. How difficult that is. And he said something to the effect that he would take that any day than the freezing cold, right? Just indicating that Quebec is harder, you know, than super hot. So I, I don't know what the rationale for that was, but if you have a, a view to elaborate on that, that would be great. Well,
1: cool. I mean, Matt Gina grew up in Louisiana, so he probably doesn't even own a down jacket or anything like that. He's, you know, he was cold. That's what Matt meant. So no, I, I, I think that, look, it's hard to blow up frozen rocks. It's hard to operate when things are freezing outside. When things freeze up, if you look at both of the projects that have been in Canada, they've incurred delays. I and mean, Damascus has got further than the than the other one. I can't remember what the name of it was, but um, North American Lithium. I don't oh. think that's it. Guy uh, came and taught me when I was in Baton Rouge one time. I just can't remember. Can't remember the name. It went bankrupt. Um, so RB Energy. Yeah, yeah, that one. So I mean, you know, they they've had a hard time up there, weather plays a part. Weather definitely plays a part. And and look, FMC or Live it, does a great job because if you think about where they are, they're operating at like 14,000 feet or something like that. I mean, those are tough conditions to operate in. And they do a dadgum good job producing uh, quality product, having to bring in their water, having to go over the Andes to ship it. I mean, they have a tough job. And they really... I think uh, do do a good job at what they're doing. That's a quality resource, and they found a way to make it work. So I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm saying it's just tougher.
0: Tangxi uh, you know, really aggressively sought to buy this stake in SQM, which it, it, I observe in the market that, you know, more capital needs to be invested in the space to meet this supply, right? You know, and there's a shortage of capital outside of Albemarle and other investments. So here you have $4 billion, which is an enormous amount of money to borrow off of their revenue to buy a stake in um you know that's not going to result in any additional supply, and they're just going to get a you know a piece of dividend. So, uh, you know, th- there's geopolitics at play, in my opinion. Here, Chile just joined the Belt and Road, you know, last November. I'm just curious how, what you think of what's happening in the world? U.S., China, lithium within the EV thematic is a, is it China 2025? Thing this this seems to me a security of supply at very high levels between China and Chile. You know, kind of making an arrangement to make sure that you know that deal happened. What what do you what do you think?
1: Yeah, I think that 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 um, I think China wants to ensure that they have the resources necessary to become a world leader in electrification of vehicles, all vehicles, not just cars, uh, buses. Scooters, you name it. That's what they want to do. And so if you look today, I talked about it, but there's a 13% non-recoval VAT for lithium hydroxide and lithium carbonate produced in China shipped outside of the country. Why is that? Well, it incents you to sell it to battery producers inside China. It incents battery production inside China to service their model. If you look at... um, Tianci, I mean, you talk about four billion dollars for SQM, but if you go back and look, and they were a converter and they leveraged up to do, to take out Talison, I mean, that was just as much. That was just as big a kind of leverage jump that they did. And they, you know, they're our partner and they're good stores of the lithium. Uh, we're, we have a great relationship with them, and we also compete vigorously with them. They know what they're doing. So I think that there are steps that are being taken. Thoughtfully by the Chinese government and the companies to ensure that they can access all the raw materials that are necessary for them to be a leader in electrification of vehicles. And I think you're going to see that continue. And we can kid ourselves all we want to, but Sefi used to always tell me because he'd been on Tallis first. I mean, you know, he did on on first. and I always ask him why he didn't, why he didn't make a, another bid. He said because I was, I knew who I was bidding against, and the I knew I, I, knew I couldn't, I knew I couldn't <laughs> outbid him. So, and and look, he was as big a Lithium bull, he was as big a Lithium bull as I was. So.
0: We interviewed um, Tim McKenna, who is yeah. the head of government relations there, and he said exactly that. They didn't counterbid because they just knew it was it was impossible. But to your point, it seems to me like uh, China could, or Tangxi, could ultimately acquire all of SQM, and then if they directed SQM's uh, carbonate right, to China, low cost, they'd have a cost
1: advantage. Have... Uh- you ever done an interview or a podcast with Julio Ponce? Uh,
0: not yet, yeah. but uh, I'm so, going to uh, be there in 10 days, so I'm going to try. <laughs> so they might, but they're going to have to
1: deal with with uh, Mr. Ponce's ownership. And yeah. That SQM is his baby. I mean, he started it from scratch. And he's, he and that leadership team uh, that with Patricio de DeSolmanac is now retired and, and, and the current leadership they have built that it is a – it is a source of pride within Chile and within those employees. And so um, they have a clear vision for what they can become, not only in for the company, but for Chile and for the world. And uh, they will not relinquish that um, easily or cheaply.
0: Welcome to Lithium Ion Rock, Season 1, Episode 15, Southern Accents, Part 2. Kissam Luke, Lithium Blue Sky.
2: If we look um, at uh, your at Albemarle's current enterprise value and strip out the bromine and, and catalyst divisions on reasonable multiples, it looks as if you're trading it at close or at replacement value for the lithium assets. So... To me, that's, that seems very reasonable. What, should, what catalyst should investors be focusing on?
1: Well, if I look at it, if you, if you put a reasonable multiple on the bromine, the, the uh, catalyst, and the fine chemistry services business, at our prices a day, you're essentially getting lithium for free. So I think we're an undervalued stock. Uh, you know, I had one investor tell me, Luke, the problem is uh, you articulated a business strategy, We like your business strategy. You're executing it against that business strategy, and the street's not giving you any credit for it. So, if you look and look at our stock, and you look at you you look at index pricing out in China, um, or what the published price is China, uh, we're trading uh, pretty much in accordance with what that lithium price is in China. We're not getting any differentiation on the quality of our business versus some of our competitors. We're not getting any differentiation on um, our resource base versus what they have, our EBITDA margins, our growth. So it's a it's a lithium block trade right now, based upon what people believe the index pricing is in China. Um, that's frustrating to our shareholders. That's frustrating to our management. Um, but you know we can either whine about it or we can keep putting points on the scoreboard, keep delivering on that strategy. Um, And ultimately, I believe the shareholder, this is a great place for uh, uh, a great valuation right now. We're seeing a lot more value-based shareholders uh, very interested in the stock, which I think will bode well in the long run.
2: Yeah, we we agree in in the sense that you've had consecutive quarterly growth. And as you say, it seems as if uh, they're referring to a volatile China spot price as the sort of reference point.
1: Yeah. I mean, if I look at our EBITDA growth, if I look at our peg ratio, if I look at our revenue growth, if I look at the top line growth, if I look at our margins, uh, it doesn't correlate to the stock price. What's, what is the closest correlation I've looked at is what that index pricing is in China. And that's across the that's really across the lithium uh, uh, space for all publicly traded lithium companies. And look, not all of us are created equal.
0: I see you as vulnerable for a uh, opportunistic takeover at this valuation for all the reasons that you said. Are you, uh, to the extent that you could disclose, are there like big mining, big oil, big chemical? You're seeing West farmers kind of come in. It seems this is the most interesting, fastest growing segment of the, the chemicals business. Um, what are your thoughts on the possibility of a takeover, and where, where might that come from?
1: Well, we run a publicly traded company, uh, and my email's on, online, so if anybody wants to call me, they know how to get there. And our board will, under, we're Virginia corporation, so under Virginia law, we'll assess anything that comes in uh, appropriately, and if we think it creates more value for our shareholders than, than we can create on our own path, we'll certainly, we'll certainly engage. If not, We'll continue on our path. So I, we can't worry about that. I, my job is, ultimately, you got to assume somebody's going to come at some point in time in the future. It happens to all of us. So if that's going to happen, our job is to make sure they pay the absolute highest premium so our shareholders can make the most money out of the whole thing, and that's, that's where our goal is. Have you?
0: Uh, I mean, stocks undervalued. It's not crazy for executives and insiders to be buying the stock. Is mm-hmm. I haven't checked the insider buying and selling recently, but is that something that uh, has happened, or might happen, or contemplating? Yeah,
1: I, I I think so. I think you, What you also got to look at is how much of these, how much shares these people own already of the of the inside management, and um, and how much of their net worth is tied up in Albemarle stock today. Uh, so I, I think that's one piece of it, but it's only, it's only one piece. What's their overall holdings in Albemarle today? What's the value of that holdings? And what is that compared to their uh, overall net worth? I feel good about where we are. We share with our board the holding requirements of our named executive officers on a, a twice a year. Uh, and we share with them what the update is on that, of where people are. And everybody who's on that leadership team is in compliance with their ownership guidelines today.
0: Okay. I'm a big believer of, uh, again, going back to our keep it simple, stupid, just a, the market signaling effect of um, insider buying, I think, is, is generally powerful.
2: We spent 1.15 on uh, on 50% of know and it will take about another 800, 850 in Capex, about forty thousand dollars a ton. So, what what long-term price ju- is is needed to, you know, secure you an RR of two times your cost of capital?
1: Yeah, what we did was we based it on our existing contr- uh, our existing contracts. So we took the existing contract price that we have through 2025, where we have existing contracts are for how long out those dropside contracts are. We plugged in that volume and those prices that we have today secured, and then we made some base assumptions, but it's not dramatically different than what we have under our contracts today. We're, we're in the ballpark of where we have today.
2: Thanks very much, Luke. And, um... If we look at uh, the uh, sort of spider web of factors that Albemarle uses to select a, an acquisition target, can you just pick out the two most important factors that you look at?
1: Um, well, if you're talking about a resource, the number one is the quality of the resource. If you're talking about an existing operation, the number one is the quality of the people. Uh, and then how, what's the cost? Um, uh, how much capital are we gonna have to implement? Uh, and what's that return on invested capital and what's the accretion dilution over a period of within a reasonable period of time?
0: You talked a little bit about your assets, but I think it, it is very important. The foresight of buying Rockwood, Greenbush is, is the best hard rock asset on the planet, and the Atacama is, are the best, you know, brines. That's just a fact, and I, I don't think investors, you know, still fully appreciate um, that. But as the market has grown so much— and you've had to diversify. Um, you have pivoted a bit from the expansion out of Atacama and uh, with mineral resources in Wajina focused on hydroxide. And you've said that that is a hydroxide versus carbonate thing. It's not a Chile versus, uh, um, you know, Australia thing. Your strategy—you've—you've made a big investment. It was a competitive process with mineral resources. Uh, Ganfeng is—is not a company that uh, you mentioned. There, they are one company that is bringing some, should be bringing some tons online from their carbonate and hydroxide expansions. But their strategy has been fairly different than yours in terms of partnering for offtake, and they've had a very—they have a lot of partners. You know, they invest a little bit of capital. some of that, I believe, is uh, cost of capital constrained. I mean, in China, they, they just don't have as big balance sheet. I mean, you have your bromine and catalyst business, etc. But uh, what do you think of? They've they've announced they want to be number one. You're number one. They're number four, right? Uh, what do you think of their strategy? Um, and you know, might you pursue similar? Uh, I guess partnering strategies with, with smaller
1: companies? So, uh, first of all, I think, you know, they're clearly going to grow. They're clearly going to grow, and they've made a decision that what they're going to do is they're going to grow by taking off-take agreements from different mines and being able to build a com- put their capital in the conversion assets. At um, points in time, that will increase their operating costs. So they're making a trade-off between an operating cost versus a capital cost early, and, and that's the right model for them. Uh, The right model for us and our balance sheet, as we thought, is to own the resource because I think that gives you an advantage. Um, uh, It gives you more control. Uh, It does give you less flexibility, though. So, for for a fact, it does. Uh, But we believe that's the best approach for us today. Uh, Look, I don't care whether or not we're the biggest-looking company in the world. It is irrelevant to me whether we're the biggest-looking company. I want to be the most profitable-looking company in the world. And there's the difference. We're not going to chase volume. We will not do it. We're going to meet the market demands, but we are not going to chase volume. It doesn't do us any good, none, none at all. Um, it hurts our shareholders for us to do that. So we're going to take a focused approach. Uh, we're going to take a methodical approach that is going to hopefully drive value for the short term, but hope, you know, for, for the short, medium, and long term. There are always trade-offs that you have to make, uh, but I'm, I'm not concerned whether they're the largest living company in the world as long as our profitability is where it ought to be versus our peers.
0: Do you see opportunities in some of the depressed, advanced stage, you know, kind of pre-development companies uh, to, as they have, uh, partner with them in some way or acquire them?
1: Yeah, I think that the place I'm particularly interested in is um, conversion assets uh, that would take the spodumene rock and convert them to either lithium carbon or lithium hydroxide. Uh, that becomes a, a buy versus build scenario. Uh, we did that previously in China with our assets in Zinyu and Qingdao that we recently uh, brought online an expansion, obviously, of Yu but that, that's what we did. We bought Tola because it was quicker, more cost effective, and more efficient for us to buy rather than build a greenfield site from scratch we look at the same thing now both in connection with Logan as well as uh, compared to the what we might do additionally at Kemerton
0: but the only conversion assets today are in China so the that's only right. o- the only opportunity would be to buy another one in China that's correct and what do you think about like Namaska or Quebec for example um with well and there's North American lithium which has a half built um you know carbon plant but if i think about Quebec as a geography or North Carolina as a geography, and also Europe as a geography. Converters need to be built in those locations, in my opinion, um, if you're going to have uh, you know, this sustainable su- supply chain that Volkswagen's talking about with you know supply close to cathode and battery you know, manufacturing.
1: that when you look at it from a cost perspective, it's a whole lot easier to ship lithium hydroxide or lithium carbonate to Europe than it is to ship, you know, spodumene concentrate rock. From a cost perspective, that's going to be a whole lot easier to do. If I look at North America, Kings Mountain is a viable resource. Uh, and we've spent uh, you know, multiple tens of millions of dollars in quantifying that resource. There's no question in my mind that that is a world-class asset. Uh, the question comes, how quickly can we get the permits? Uh, how quickly can we get the place for the tailings so that we could uh, build that? But we have that in right at Kings Mountain that is a viable resource that we could build a world-scale uh, lithium hydroxide, lithium carbonate, or some other lithium derivative plant uh, right here in North Carolina. Uh, and it's just a matter of we need to pick our priorities. So right now, we pick build out Talison because it's the world's low-cost producer, have conversion capacity in Australia for that, do this transaction with MRL, and then you'll see us coming with Kings Mountain if the demand requires such. So we're going to be here in North America. We're also looking at expanding in Silver Peak. Can we produce more out of Silver Peak in Nevada, Um, which would be be great. So I think we can have world-scale plants here, but it's going to take somebody like Albemarle who has the balance sheet the technology and the financial wherewithal to go through that period of time and and go through that system.
0: a bond sometime this year to finance the transaction you announced. So when do you think the timing uh, is to close? I know you said second half, which seemed a very long time for like a joint venture as opposed to an acquisition. So I was just curious about... About that, and uh, I understand you have an investment-grade credit. Interest rates have gone down surprisingly in the past few months. So, any thought? I know Mineral Resources just did a deal, a bond deal. It was like eight and a quarter percent, but I think you're you're probably looking at something south of five. So, any thoughts on, I guess, just timing of closing?